Thanks for tuning into Soul Talks with Bill and Christy Galtier. It's a blessing to follow Jesus with you. And we appreciate you sharing this podcast with others. All it takes is using the share button on your app or sending an email with a link. Another way to spread the word is to find Soul Talks on iTunes and give a rating and a comment. Today, we're continuing the series on our Soul Shepherding booklet called Unforsaken. Twice in the New Testament we read, If we die with Christ, we will also live with him. Praise God. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is our source of eternal living. That means with Jesus at his cross, you are unforsaken. Hi to our Soul Talks friends. Many of you have tuned in now with a whole year of Soul Talks with us, and we are just so honored and grateful. I'm Looking here, Bill, at a message from our dear friend, Pastor Vicki Orr. She's in my pastor's group and has been for many years. And she wrote us saying, Dear Christy and Bill, I so much appreciate a whole year of Soul Talks. They are very helpful to me. I just so honored. You know, I just have so much respect for Vicki and so many of our listeners. And just to, to think that they tune in and that God uses us, you know, in these Soul Talks to be helpful to them. Just praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Vicki has a powerful ministry of she Bible does. study and leading people in inner healing prayer. We also got a message from Pearl in Newport Beach here in Southern California, and she shared Soul Talks with a bunch of her friends, said, I'm finding great comfort and direction by listening to these podcasts. And uh, she recommends to them our Unforsaken booklet, and saying that it's really helpful leading up to Good Friday and Easter. So thank you, Pearl, for joining us on Soul Talks. We love being a community with all of you out there. We appreciate hearing from you. Visit us on our website, soulshepherding.org, and you can contact us there or through Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. We would. Yeah. And so we are continuing the journey through Unforsaken, and our theme today is Trusting God When You Feel Forsaken. So we come to the 11th station where Jesus is crucified with two thieves. And we read in Luke's gospel, they crucified Jesus along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him. And friends, let's hear these words in our hearts. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Wow. It's never too late to put our trust in Jesus for eternity. And probably every one of us has someone that we care about who doesn't know the forgiveness of God through Christ and doesn't have that relationship with God's grace, holding the hand of Jesus and trusting the Lord to help them cross over into the next life. So I know I have a list here of some people that I'm praying for. There's got six names on this list, and these are all uh, sons or daughters of friends of ours who were raised in the church but have have walked away from the Lord, at least in terms of active faith. Most of these are pastors, other Christian leaders, and so... Yeah, these are people that are on, on my heart now, Yeah, especially as we pray through the, the Stations of the Cross. And I just think it's this is a powerfully uh, moving scene here with this mm-hmm. thief on the cross who reaches out for Jesus yes. at the last minute and yeah. steps into paradise. 
Yeah, it really is. It it gives us such hope of how Jesus, it's never too late or nobody's ever too far gone for Jesus to reach them. I think about, it's been meaningful for me this week to be meditating on this station of the cross and to give more thought and more time and continue to go back to thinking about, you know, what it was like for Jesus and these thieves to be being crucified together. I'd never really spent much time thinking about that previously. I mean, I've been aware of this part of the story, but, you know, I just, I'm walking down the street, you know, we have a middle school by our house and there's these, you know, teenagers and they are just cussing and talking with such vulgarity. And it's just like, I don't even want to like be there by them. Like it feels violating even to just be overhearing them. Like I don't want to be overhearing them. And it's troubling to me and upsetting to me. And I'm thinking, boy, you know, there's another example of how Jesus was just in such stress. And another example of how he was bearing our sin and, you know, just even hearing somebody else's sin, how painful that is to me. But think about Jesus taking our sin and being treated as one of us, you know, being treated like these criminals, like these worst of sinners. Yeah, I think it's Matthew shows us uh, both of the the criminals insulting Jesus mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. hurling insults on him. That's a great phrase there of description, hurling yeah. their words like daggers into, into Jesus. And so it's interesting. So why does Luke tell us there's one? Well, apparently what's happened here is that the, the one thief has been won over to Jesus. <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> he, and so you might say, well, so what is it that wins him over? I mean, how would somebody that's being crucified as a criminal, you know, in agony and bleeding to death, how could somebody be in that position and win somebody over to paradise? Well, you tell us, <laughs> and I'm forsaken, that it's because Jesus's compassion and forgiveness and the way he is being the way he's trusting God, even though he feels forsaken, is helping them to believe God's goodness and to trust that God really is real and there. And somehow there, this one thief is able to see it. He's able to really trust Jesus is more than a man. The way he endures suffering with such grace, with forgiveness, with kindness towards others. Yeah, that wins over the thief. And so he says, today, Jesus says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. I love that. Uh, You know, as I think about those thieves there, and I think about their bitterness and their rage, Mm -hmm. you know, especially the the one that stays in that posture. And I just think, wow. You know, commonly when we're struggling with anger, it's a defense against underlying shame Mm -hmm. or fear. Yeah. And you just imagine how that criminal probably just felt horrible. He, he, I mean, he deserved to be punished. I mean, it's a very extreme punishment for stealing, mm-hmm. uh, but he's probably feeling ashamed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, certainly he's, he's afraid, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, but rather than feeling those emotions, he goes to anger and he goes to opposition and, and defiance and rebelliousness and and finding the last vestige of power he can get there mm-hmm. in, in his powerless position being crucified. But the second thief takes a different emotional route. And I just think this is really instructive for us because the second thief, as we said, well, he becomes convicted. Yeah. He realizes, wow, you know, here I am verbally abusing this guy here who's, who's just loving the people around him and loving God and begins to realize this is the son of God. He hasn't done any wrong. That's why he's being crucified. And so he becomes sad. Mm-hmm. 
he becomes sad about his behavior, and that sadness then moves him towards relationship with Jesus. Mm, And he cries out to Jesus, and he receives empathy and compassion and forgiveness and eternal life. He's enthralled with Jesus. He moves, this moves him beyond his defenses of hurt and shame and fear uh, and anger, which bring anger to the sadness and then the repentance, conviction. Yeah, I was talking with somebody recently who uh, is struggling with these emotions and someone who has some issues with anger and finding fault with other people and kind of getting into into verbal battles over different things that are going on, whether it's with, with his wife or with other church leaders and so forth. And I was trying to help him see that really a lot of this is a defense against his underlying fear, because what he tends to do is toggle between anger and shame, mm-hmm. putting the anger on other people, blaming, criticizing, finding fault with them, or it flips on him and then he's judging and condemning himself and going into feeling bad about himself and trying to help him see that, you know, really uh, what he's doing there is he's got all this fear and the way he hides out in fear is he starts to escape. He starts to avoid. So, you know, goes to drinking, goes to, you know, watching television, surfing the internet because he can't deal with these or doesn't want to deal with these emotions. And so uh, he doesn't think he has an issue with fear, but I helped him see that, well, when you're drinking, you're doing that because you're avoiding the intensity mm-hmm. of these emotions. Because when he starts to fall into shame, he's got no solution for that. Yeah. He just goes into continual self-recriminations. Right. And so he avoids the shame by going into anger and blaming other people. That creates conflict. Then he feels guilt. So he's going mm-hmm. back and forth, back and forth, and it's mm-hmm. exhausting. Yes. So then he wants to escape and pull out of the whole thing, you mm-hmm. see. And that's where drinking and television and, and stuff like that comes in to just check out. I just can't take this anymore. But really, that's a fear. Yeah. And so what I helped him see was, and it's, it's the same movement that this the good thief has, is that underneath all of this anger, the shame, the fear, is his sadness. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is that he feels forsaken. It's a theme in his life going back to his childhood. It relates to some important relationships in his life more recently. But sadness is vulnerable. Yes. It's needy. See, so he doesn't want to go there and, because, and he doesn't have the association out of his own upbringing and his own forming in his development as a child that when he's sad, there's going to be empathy for him. Mm. Somebody will move towards him with interest. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? I'm concerned for you. And, and they'll listen. And they'll care, they'll validate the, the emotions. So sadness quickly becomes depression or shame. Yes. And so it's like he wants to stay yes. away from that. Yeah, that's really helpful, honey. It's a really good description of the dynamic there. How did it feel for you to be with him? Well, I felt sad for him. That's a big part of what helped me help him because I was feeling so sad, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. You were feeling his sadness. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling like, you know, he's alone here. And he's in this cauldron of emotions that most of the time he's not very much aware of the emotions because he just stays so busy and so active and accomplishing Uh all these things and doing all these things because he doesn't have a way to deal with the emotions. And that's, of course, what I'm trying to teach him, you know, in the process of counseling. And I know how that feels, you know, to be on the outside of empathy where I'm alone and I'm struggling with something and I don't know where to go with it and just get busy and, you know, over the years, the Lord has taught me, it's like, well, no, I need to 
find somebody safe and talk about what's going on and, and find my feelings. And uh, somewhere in there, there's going to be this sense of sadness or loss or longing for something that's missing. And then when, when someone connects with us in that place and cares for us, that's the path to healing and new hopes and, and freedom. Yeah. But even though you know that, it's not always easy for you to do that. Well, yeah, no, like yesterday I was struggling and feeling overwhelmed and, and frustrated and slipped into uh, judging myself. Mm-hmm. You know, as I've shared recently on these soul talks during Lent, I've given up judging. Easier to say than to do, especially as it relates to judging my own self. And so I had lots of opportunities to become aware of that and confess that and seek mercy and grace. And so you came over to me when I was feeling discouraged about the project I was working on and had felt criticized and unappreciated by someone who was working that through. Uh, but I wasn't really working it through. I was just working on stuff. Mm-hmm. And you came alongside and got me to talk and you listened to me and gave me empathy and prayed for me and, and spiritually fought for me. Well, it was my privilege to do that, honey. And actually this meditation helped me because as I was praying for you, it was like, God revealed to me you had two thieves on either side of you hurling hurling judgments and accusations at you. And so that helped me to fight for you spiritually because then I was able to rebuke those (laughs) attacks. I appreciate so much your graciousness and perceptiveness, you know, to look for, you show me the good shepherd that looks for the lost sheep. You look for my feelings to uh, understand and and care for me. Well, it's really a privilege, honey. It really is. And that's what in this next station that we are doing this week on the 12th station, Mary and John watch Jesus die. That's what this is all about. Um, Jesus shows us. Thank you, Jesus, by your cross, you gave us your life and showed us how to trust God when we feel forsaken. That's what it's all about. And so we read here in Mark 15, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in John 19, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple who he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. I just love the way that Jesus is empathizing with them that they're feeling abandoned. Mm-hmm. They're losing. John is losing his best friend, his Lord, his master teacher, his, I mean, in his mind, you know, everything he's dedicated and given his whole life to uh, is his boss in a sense, his job in a sense, his best friend and soulmate is, you know, I mean, there's so much he's losing there. And, you know, Mary, her son and her understanding and, and dream for what she thought God was going to do through him. And, you know, Another loss we know grief triggers grief, so it would trigger the grief of losing Joseph and probably trigger the grief of losing her family when she got pregnant and married mm-hmm. Joseph and went to Bethlehem and, you know, all for Jesus. And I mean, so much loss here. They must have felt so abandoned. And yet Jesus is empathizing with them, even in his own feeling of abandonment, in his own darkness here. He's empathizing with their grief and then helping them to take heart in their relationship with each other to help each other trust God. Yeah, it's helpful how you're describing that, honey. I think that when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Perhaps a part of why he says that is because he's articulating what Mary and John feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is that empathy. 
because mm-hmm. they feel like God has forsaken them. If God yes. would let Jesus be crucified like this, then God must not love them. And the kingdom of God isn't coming after all in terms of their understanding of what the kingdom. That's right. Yeah. So Mark is giving us a very stark picture here of, of the seven last words of Jesus. This is the only one he gives. Jesus crying out from Psalm 22, verse 1. I think I've mentioned before on Soul Talks, Mark is most likely Peter's gospel. Mark has, has recorded it. And so if you just think about Peter's view on Jesus and the Passion, Peter's the one who denied Jesus three times. And so I think Peter's recreating this for us. Peter's a preacher, and I think he's recreating the scene so that we'll feel what Peter felt, like all hope is lost. Mm-hmm. Jesus is not who we thought he was, and we'll be left with that blackness, that darkness. Yeah, so yeah. what do you think's happening here? This is really quite a, a scene that Mark's giving us. Yeah, it is. It's quite upsetting. It's quite horrifying. You know, it tempts us to think that God isn't good and can't be trusted. If You know, he would forsake his son this way. You know, if we fixate on that and the experience of that, we can really spiral down in a, a depression and a doubt and darkness ourselves. But then Luke comes along and he gives us a very different picture. It's not a contradiction. It's just from a different angle, in a different light. And he shows us Jesus crying out to God as his loving father, as his Abba, and saying, you know, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he shows us Jesus totally trusting in God as his loving father, whereas Mark is showing us Jesus feeling or perhaps literally being abandoned and forsaken. Uh, So it's a confusing thing because we have these theories of what's happening at the atonement. And one theory is that, well, God is forsaking Jesus because he's become our sin offering and he has to look away because of that sin. So for a season, that's what's happening. But another theory is that we'll just carry Psalm 22 through to its conclusion. And because Jesus is invoking the whole Psalm as like saying a remiz, which is a, a typical Jewish method, Because my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is from Psalm 22. Yes, thank you. And if you read the rest of that psalm, it says that God has not forsaken me. He's not abandoned me. And there's this tender language about God being like a mother caring for nursing little child. And so it's like, yeah, so maybe Jesus feels forsaken uh, as anyone, any human would in this situation. Is God actually rejecting Jesus? This theory would say, well, no. In either case, we know that Jesus is going before us so that we will know that we are never forsaken, as Mm. Hebrews teaches us, because of Christ's sacrifice, because of his righteousness, because the forgiveness that we have through our Lord and Savior, we are reconciled or can be reconciled to God. Yeah. Well, And I do love the emphasis here that we really need each other, too, like John and Mary needed each other to help us remember and to trust that we are not forsaken when we feel like we are. So this is helpful. Yeah, so we just would like to leave you with a blessing from this Soul Talks. as We're trusting God even when we might feel forsaken. And uh, just ask you to consider now someone in your life that you're concerned about that isn't trusting Jesus for mercy and forgiveness and eternal life. Maybe a hurt or difficulty in your own life where you're feeling alone, overwhelmed. Could you see with us now Jesus on the cross? And could you see him look to you with eyes of great compassion? And even as he says to John and to his mother, Mary, be together as mother and son. Love each other with my love. I'm in the middle of your relationship. 
Can you see Jesus move towards you? Lord, would you bring a friend? Would you bring a companion to each of us, Lord? Someone that helps us to trust you, helps us to know in living flesh that we are not forsaken. God, you are with us. You love us. You forgive us. You are journeying with us day by day. We pray, Lord, that we would trust you in this way and that our loved ones, those people right now that we have in our mind, that we want to know you fully, Lord God, know your love and grace and mercy, that they too would put their trust in the sweet and powerful name of Jesus. Thank you, God. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're celebrating the grace rhythms of Good Friday and Easter. These aren't just for Holy Week. They're for every day. Jesus is helping us to experience God's love. You and your friends will be blessed to set aside an hour or even a half-day retreat to pray through the Bible meditations, pictures, and prayers that make up the Unforsaken journey. You can order Unforsaken on soulshepherding.org or Amazon for as little as $5. If you want a discount for a bulk order, just email us. Till next time, let's continue our conversations in Christ.